that's what our sermon series will be about uh, this week. The Kingdom Family. Right, that's what our sermon series will be about this, uh, the next two months. The Kingdom Family. And as I was thinking about this, I didn't come up with a title. I think Blake came up with a title or some. It was maybe Blake and then a couple of suggestions and it happened. But as we were thinking about what we wanted to do this year, we were thinking about how important, how important it was to have a, a kingdom family focus. How important it was to be someone who thought of your family, your husband, your wife, your children, your grandchildren, who thought of these people and beyond as more than just um, a way of sort of satisfying personal needs, personal longings, a way of fulfilling missed opportunities and missed dreams. Um, but see your family as really Christ, Christ's instruments of fulfilling His kingdom, enlarging His kingdom on earth. And that really is what we, that really is the way we should view our families. Our families should be viewed as Christ's instrument of enlarging His kingdom on earth. And I'm afraid that in our culture, in a Western Christian culture, that it's probably not that way for the most part. As I was thinking about our sermon series, I, I came across a few verses, but one that stuck out to me in Proverbs 17.6. It says, Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their father's. What this does, what this verse, now this is just a proverb, there's several of them in the same spectrum. What this does is it covers a range, it covers a range of God-honoring and glorifying levels in the family. It talks about the son who is proud of his father because his father has led and has fought the good fight in the Christian faith. It talks about the grandfather who looks at his children, he looks at his children and his grandchildren, and he looks at them with joy and with happiness as, as if he were wearing a crown as a king. And friends, I want to tell you that those things don't just come naturally. Like, everybody's proud of their grandkids, right? I mean, most everybody in here would say, oh, I love my grandkids if you have grandkids. You would say, for the most part, and in most scenarios, you love your children. The younger they are, the harder it is to say that definitively every day. But, but you would say that you love your children. And I would bet that most of the children in this room would say their fathers and their mothers, they respect and they love. But it doesn't just come naturally. And it doesn't come as deeply as it does when we see our calling for our family to be a kingdom family. A Christ-centered, Christ-honoring, God-glorifying, world-pursuing, not the world in the, in the sense of the scheme of the world, but the world in the sense of those lost and in need of a Savior. Worldly, the people of the world pursuing kingdom family. There's been much thought and discussion put into our summer series just about these topics. But particularly, particularly our leadership wanted us to focus and discuss some topics that are so necessary for the people of God in any time, but especially in our time. They're especially necessary in a time where the family has been attacked. Where the family has been attacked. 
As a matter of fact, it's, and I'm not saying this for the people with a lot of children in here, but people with many children are seen as an anomaly or a stigma as opposed to God-honoring. Singleness is either considered um, like the plague or it's considered a, a time to sow your wild oats. Whereas really, single, singleness is to be a time of prepping, a primer for marriage, a primer for being a parent. Now, some people definitively, I know that there's always, sometimes the, sometimes sermon uh, critique is like Twitter. It's like you say something that's completely innocent and someone finds something wrong with it. But singleness, some people are called to singleness for life, okay? So I do a lot of disclaimers just for those people who like to, to critique. But for the vast majority of the people, because the Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. The Bible says he who finds a wife finds a good thing. The vast majority of people who are not called to singleness, singleness is a primer for marriage. It is not, it is not a plague or a time for hedonistic self-indulgence. It is a proving ground to say that you're going to be the man or the woman that God wants you to be. Marriage is all but obsolete. Because marriage is all but obsolete, divorce and adultery are committed at much higher rates. Typically, we have little to no statistics on this because adultery and divorce are still happening, but people aren't getting married anymore. And so you don't see it as common. Children are either considered a burden or an accident or a way to even fulfill unmet desires of your own childhood. The advice of the age and the elderly is seen as obsolete or at best inconvenient and outdated. We live in the most individualistic and egocentric time in modern history. As a result, dad has his own life that's typically tied to his phone or to his work. Mom has her own life that's typically tied to her things. The children have their own life. So by the time that they gain independence, you know, and it's earlier and earlier now, parents have lost every bit of equity that they have in the lives of their children. The family has suffered. Not only have parents lost equity in the life of their children to teach and train them, but they've also raised weak children because they either do everything for them or they hire someone else to do it. Of course, you know how I think on these things. I think one way to right the ship from the family perspective is to look back and to see how things were done in Scripture. I don't think, you, I don't think that uh, just because something is vintage makes it bad. We named our church on the idea that we would recapture some of the old things about the Christian life and sort of push out some of the extraneous things. Just because we get further along in history, friends, does not make our knowledge, our enlightenment, our understanding any better. I'll give you one example. There was a time where people thought that it was okay to have slaves or to segregate by color. Or many watched from towns that neighbored Nazi extermination camps where Hitler killed millions of Jews. 
it was, but is especially now seen, it was at the time, but it's especially now seen as sort of a morally reprehensible thing. Right? We look back now and we're like, how could, I can't think of a scenario how someone could own a slave. I can't think of it. Like, I can't picture how someone would think that's moral. I can't picture how someone could know what's going on in concentration camps and do nothing. I can't imagine that. I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but... But we also live in the generation that last year killed 42 million babies. Okay? So here's the thing. Just because we get further along, further down the road, doesn't mean that our morals, our system of values, is better than it was in Nazi Germany. Or better than it was in the, deep south, or in, in the United States in general in the, for up until the 1800s. The late 1800s. The chilling statistic shows that just because a society is further along down the timeline doesn't mean it's morally superior or enlightened. It doesn't mean that we should just throw away the things that we have known for countless years, thousands of years, to be God-honoring, to be a delight to His eyes. And so what I would assert to you, friends, is that one way that we understand the kingdom family is to recapture sort of the vintage values that the Bible prescribes for what a Christian looks like first and what a Christian family looks like. I would would prescribe to you, friends, that there are some ideals and principles that we can guarantee in our life as it pertains to preparing for marriage, preparing for family, raising our family in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and also being grandparents. And those things mostly come from ideas that people have known for countless years, for thousands of years, really even since creation in some instances. And I think this is especially true as it pertains to family. No matter how, friends, how much the culture, no matter how much the culture tries to dictate what family should look like, should be like, we know that the principles of family were established a long time ago. And the way we become kingdom people is by following those principles when we're single, by pursuing them in our marriage before we have children, and then following them following through on them when we are married with children or when we are even helping raise grandchildren. In an article on kingdom family, George Ross defined the kingdom family in this way. A kingdom family embodies the character of Christ, intentionally lives out the mission of Christ through the spirit of Christ to the glory of Christ, manifesting his kingdom here on earth. A kingdom family embodies the character of Christ, intentionally lives out the mission of Christ through the Spirit of Christ, for the glory of Christ, manifesting His kingdom here on earth. He went on to say about the kingdom of God and how it fits with the kingdom family. The kingdom of God is the progressive implementation of God's rule on earth as it is in heaven. It's very important. The kingdom of God is the progressive implementation of God's rule on earth as it, is, as, as it is in heaven to be completed when He judges mankind finally into heaven or hell. It is the rule of Christ manifested on earth through who? The church, Christians, believers 
among all nations who bring a portion of heaven, that is the peace and joy of God, to earth by their rule and example of righteousness, their ethics and their worldview. The kingdom of God is the new world order brought about through the gospel. Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. With the kingdom of God and the Christian family in mind, friends, we have titled our sermon series, The Kingdom Family. And we will discuss in our time together over the next two months a range of topics that will be helpful to develop habits while you are single, and habits while you are young and married without children, and habits for having children, young children, middle children, older children, and even being a kingdom grandmother or grandfather. Over this time, we will discuss family worship habits, singleness and dating, roles within the family, parenting, stewardship within our families, divorce, and intimacy. All of these topics in small and large ways will help us bring Christ-likeness into the outer corners of our life. And hopefully will help us develop a kingdom-centered, a Christ-centered, kingdom-centered family. I want to end I want to sort of end today's introductory sermon by giving you two reasons why we want to spend the summer focusing on family or preparing for family and why thriving in the kingdom family is so important. These two reasons are why we're going to spend our summer focusing on a kingdom family focus. The first is this. Kingdom family focus does not require perfect people but willing people. Kingdom family focus does not require perfect people, but willing people. It's not up on the board, so if you're not looking, you missed it. Kingdom family focus does not require perfect people, but willing people. God does not need perfect people. He does not not need people who are equipped. He does not need people who have it all together. He just needs people who are willing to do what He says. Willing to obey Him. Willing to follow Him to the ends of the earth. He doesn't need you to get your life right. He doesn't need you to clean it up. He does those things. Now, it doesn't mean that you can just go on living haplessly, living how you want to if you were in Christ. The deal is, friends, they are inseparable. A life sanctified is inseparable from a life saved. If you are saved in Christ, you will grow in Christ. He needs you to be willing to listen and to grow. He wants us to be good. He wants us to be like Him. But He doesn't need us to be perfect. He wants us to pursue perfection. That was what Paul intimated at least. He said, though I haven't attained it, I still press on towards that mark. He desires that we grow in Him. But friends, He doesn't expect you to be like others. He wants you to grow in Him, but He doesn't expect you to be like me. Thank the Lord. He doesn't expect you to be like Christian people that you look up to, that you think are a role model for you. He doesn't expect you to be like your favorite preacher or your favorite podcast person. He doesn't expect you to be like your favorite writer. He expects you to be you willing to be like Christ. It's very important that if you want to be, if you want to understand the kingdom family, if you want to understand what it's like to enlarge your territory, as Jabez prayed, you understand that God expects you to be like you who is willing to be like Christ. He wants us to practice what is right. He knows that we'll fail. He knows that we'll 
that we will waver. He knows that we will slide back to use an old backslide, to use an old Southern Baptist term. He knows that you will backslide. But he expects, he expects and will use someone who wants to be who they are, but willing to be like Jesus. Willing to put the effort in. Willing to sacrifice. Willing to remove things from their life that are a roadblock or a hindrance. 1 John 3, 1-10 gives us a motivation for living in the kingdom family. You can turn there really quickly if you want to because I didn't do any outline up here. It's all right here. 1 John 3, 1-10. It gives us a motivation for living kingdom family. It, this 1 John 3 is really an introduction to what kingdom family is. It's an introduction to being a part of the family of God. Verse 1 is probably one of my favorite verses of all time. And I know I say that a lot, but I really mean it on this one. It's, listen to this. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. To me, I imagine this a million different ways. I imagine this after Ellie and Bennett have done something you know, that they're proud of and they say, look, Daddy, look, see what I've done. They take me a picture you know, for my birthday. They draw me a picture and they hand it to me and they say, see what kind of love I have for you, Daddy? Look at this picture. And then in an, in an elevated way, in an exponentially greater way, the Lord says, see what kind of love that I have for you. That I make you my son. That I make you my daughter. The reason, and then it, and there goes on to explain, there goes on to explain in 1 John 3 why there is this constant friction between the world and between the people of God. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. The reason why there's friction between you and the world if you are living faithful as a Christian is because he ain't their daddy. He's not their daddy. He's not their father. They are not a part of the kingdom family. And if you find the way you live in constant friction and in constant turmoil with the, the way God has prescribed you to live, chances are, friends, He's not your father. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not... Know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. That's what we will be in eternity when He gives us perfected bodies, when we are with Him and we love Him and we praise Him forever. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins. And in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in, in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Little children, let no one deceive you. Little children, don't deceive Yourself. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous 
as He is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. 1 John 3 informs us that it isn't what we have that makes us. But what makes us is our willingness to be like Christ. To be the way that Christ wants His children to be. It is being a child of God and believing in ourselves. Hear me, this is the only time you're going to hear me say this. Believing in ourselves only because we have Christ in us. It is really believing that since you are a child of God, you are a world beater. You are a more than conquerors, as the Bible says. Now, I know that uh, I think Drew on Saturday called me the, the sports illustration pastor. I think it was Drew. It was somebody. I can't remember who it was. Somebody did it recently. Uh, if it wasn't you, I'm sorry for giving you credit for That's that. That's okay. Um, but someone called me the sports illustration pastor. I don't think I use that many sports illustrations, but I do have a lot you know, in my life that revolves, that in the past at least, has revolved around sports. And, and I helped... Uh, I helped uh, Ellie's softball team this year. I helped coach some. Um, I wasn't official, but um, obviously it's very difficult for me not to like see what people are doing and not you know, be like, you're an idiot, this is wrong, um, in my head at least. Um, but anyway, I helped uh, Ellie's softball team. And, and there, were three, there were three girls that I think about specifically when I think about this and I think about our ability in Christ to do His will. And one was a range of girls. Ellie and a girl named Adrian and a girl named Carson. They were the best girls on the team. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying they were older. They had more experience. They had more gifts. They were the best girls on the team. But, but all three of those girls wanted to get better. They believed that they, if they tried, if they gave effort, they could get better. And then there was another little girl. I mean, she, she was tiny. I mean, like, she didn't even look like she should be playing softball. Like, the ball or the bat would break her. And when she started the season, she was not great. But she was determined. She didn't have the same gifts as Ellie and Adrian and Carson, but she had the, she had the, the, the willingness and the mindset that if she listened and if she pursued the things that she was taught, that she could do great things. And by the end of the season, she hit and she ran and she was one of the most improved people on the team. And then there was another girl who had zero background at all. First year to ever play the sport. First year to ever pick up a bat. But she did everything her coaches told her to do. Everything her coaches told her to do. She held the bat the right way. Like I would, I, t- I t- knew a lot because Anna knew a lot. Anna took a lot of lessons, and so I just took what Anna said. 
And so I told her all of these, I told the girls all of these little things, you know, door knocking knuckles and, you know, squish the bug and watch eyes bat ball, watch the ball. And I would see this girl, you know, good stance. And I would see this girl every time she would look at her feet. She would grab the bat, hands by her ears. She would look back at the bat like this and then she would be ready. And it was like a machine, but she knew, she believed that if she did everything that she was taught to do, or everything within her power that she was taught to do, that she could be great at softball. Friends, we need people in the church like this. We need people in the family of God like this who believe in God again. Not just believe that God is a Savior, but believe that God is a life changer. Who believe in God so much that we it's not blind faith if someone keeps proving themselves right, is it? If someone keeps proving themselves right, it's not blind faith. We had this conversation with Ellie in the car the other day. Um, Ellie said something. I don't remember what it was. And Anna said, how do you know that? And Ellie said, because Daddy told me. And then Anna said, well, how do you know Daddy's right? Because Daddy doesn't lie. Here's the thing. If you prove, if if you've been proven over and over again, if someone has been proven trustworthy, it's not blind faith to do what they say and believe that the results that they're telling you will happen, will happen. We need people in the church that believe in God as a sanctifier again. We need people in church that believe, we need people in leading families that believe if they do what God says, that real, tangible, objective, beautiful, God-honoring results will happen. I want to tell you, the biggest change that ever happened in my life, I went from mistreating girls that I was dating by just dating around. I went from being, uh, uh, I'm still working on this, a no good son. I went from um, being a bad friend to just a kind of a bad friend. I, I, I grew up in a lot of areas. And the thing that changed in my life at that time was I believed that God could change me. I believed that His Word was that route that I found out what I was supposed to be like. And I believed that God could change me. We have too many people sitting in these pews believing that help for them is, is it's too great. They're too far gone. Believing that they can't be changed. That life can't be different. That it has to be the way it is because it's been that way for so long. Or it has to be the way it is because they're weak. Or it has to be the way it is because they can't see an end. We need Christians. We need family leaders who believe that God could change them. Single friends, young married friends, friends with kids, friends with grandkids. The determination of the success of our kingdom living is not based on the gifts that we bring, but our willingness to do the will of the Father. Our willingness to deny ourselves daily and take up our cross and follow Him. 2 Corinthians 8.12 says that if our willingness is there, it isn't about what we don't have, but what we have that matters. How many, of, how many of us are crippled by our thought that we are ill-equipped 
that we are unable. How many of us are crippled by the fact that we focus on more of what we don't have than what we actually have been given in Christ? Friends, the people of the church should be the A-teams of the world. We should be the MacGyvers. We should, if we have little, we should be able to take a paper clip, a rubber band, and some toothpaste and make a bomb to get out of the scary... Does anybody remember MacGyver? Yes. MacGyver had like three items and he like made the World Trade Center or something. I don't know. Like, like he was able to do the most with little, the least. Friends, if you, are, if you feel like you have the least, if you don't feel like you're gifted, do with what God has given you. Amen. Do with the least that you have. Because I will tell you, this church depends on it. But more importantly, your family depends on it. Your family depends on you believing in yourself because you are in Christ. Not focusing on what we don't have. Not focusing on what we want to be, where we once were, or where others are. But focusing on what Christ can do in us right now if we are just willing. Celebrating that we are part of the family of God. And if we are in Christ, friends, a whole world of opportunity is open to us. Both spiritual and personally. God will do more in an unskilled and ungifted willing Christian than He will do in a thousand gifted and doubting ones. You know what I've noticed about younger children? Younger children, before you give them an electronic device and make them lazy, or before you give them something to make them doubt, younger children believe they can do anything. They believe they can do anything. It's why the kid watches Superman... He puts, on a, he puts on his favorite blanket and he jumps off the couch and he breaks his arm. Because he believes he can fly. Because he believes he can do anything. Children have an innocence where they don't believe they have limitations. But often they can't back it up. Kingdom children, Christians, should have enough faith that they don't believe that they have limitations and let Christ back it up. Isaiah said, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the fruit of the land. Giving God's people two ingredients to growing a kingdom family. Willingness and obedience. The proverb says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. God to His church at Laodicea said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice... Let him open the door and I will come in and sup with him and he with me. The Lord is standing at the door of the church and is saying, if you're willing, if you hear me, open the door and we'll do great things together. (coughs) First Chronicle says of Solomon, but can be echoed to us in a way. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with your whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. But if you forsake Him, He will cast you off forever. Friends, are you so focused on what you don't have that you can't focus on what you have as a child of God in the kingdom of God? Are you preparing now and working toward kingdom, family, 
It doesn't take much more than grace through faith and a willingness to be the workman that Christ created you to be. Kingdom family focus does not require perfect people, but willing people. The second point, and it'll be quick. Kingdom family focus is building a legacy that will last. Kingdom family focus is building a legacy that will last. I think one thing that we must always be looking toward, friends, is our legacy. Not because we want to lift ourselves up, but because everyone will leave a legacy. Every one of you will leave a legacy. It will either be honoring to Christ or it will be not. Those are the options. As we go through our study of the kingdom family, we will be really putting to the test some of our natural thoughts about life and family. We will really stretch ourselves to see (coughs) if we have a kingdom family focus and if we are people who are legacy builders to the glory of God or someone or something else. Is the legacy you leave for Christ important to you? Are the decisions you are making in your life right now building a kingdom legacy? Over the course of the next two months, you will ask yourselves some difficult questions. As a single person, you will ask yourself, am I prepared to serve God as a single person indefinitely? Or am I making wise decisions and prepping myself to be a husband or a wife? As a young married person, you'll ask yourself, am I building a God-honoring legacy in my marriage now? Am I fulfilling the role of spiritual leader as a husband or as a helpmate, as a wife? Am I preparing myself for children before I have them? Not just financially, not just by buying a minivan, not just by having the house, but spiritually. As a married person with children, I need to ask myself, is my marriage honoring to God? Do I love my spouse more than I love my children? By the way, is my marriage honoring God? These are some things that honor God. Do I love my spouse more than I love my children? Honors God when we love our spouse, our own flesh and blood. Do I have a proper and healthy understanding of sex? Do I discipline my body as prescribed in the Bible or do I let... Excuse me, do do I discipline my children as prescribed in the Bible or do I let them rule my house? Am I creating a legacy? A legacy that will last. What type of legacy will you leave, friends? Will you leave a kingdom, family, legacy? When I was thinking on this, I was reading about one of my, one of the pastors that I admire, theologians that I admire, Jonathan Edwards. I know that you probably know of him or have heard of him, but he was a theologian in the 1700s. He was a balanced pastor, but he was also a kingdom family leader. It is recorded that he spent time every day studying for personal growth, studying with his children, loving on his children, loving his wife, the church, and the lost. In accepting his calling to be a kingdom family man, he left a legacy that still sees its roots in this country. From his direct lineage in our country, we've had a hundred lawyers and deans. Now this is even probably his family line got so diluted that we can't even keep record anymore. But a hundred lawyers and deans of law school and a dean of law school, 80 holders of public office, 66 physicians and a dean of a medical school, 65 professors of colleges and universities, 30 judges, 13 college presidents, three mayors of a large city, of large cities, three governors of states. 
three United States Senators, one Controller of the United States Treasury, and one Vice President of the United States. These are just things that we can record. Imagine the legacy, the Christian legacy that Jonathan, the, the Christian lineage that Jonathan Edwards left. He left a legacy of godly men and women that outlived the legacy of countless men before him. Because he was a man focused not just on today, but tomorrow and the next day. So what will your legacy be? Are you laying groundwork so that you will walk with your children in heaven? I can't think of a greater calling. I can't think of a greater charge to lay groundwork now before you have children so that you can walk with them at the, up to the gates of or not into the, in heaven and to Jesus. I didn't want to become overly um, hyperbolic there. So will you walk with your children in heaven? Will you walk with your grandchildren in heaven? Will you worship Jesus with them together? Because in the end, my children or my grandchildren won't care about how many houses I owned at one time. If I was successful at sports or if I held various records, they won't care about the size of my television. They won't care about how many electronics I had. But my children will care if their daddy loved them enough to not only teach them about the most important thing in his life, but to live it out as the most important thing in his life. My grandchildren won't care uh, if I had the most, if they had the most fun at my house. They won't care if I was the best grandparent, if I gave them all the sweets that they could have. They'll remember that. But they'll want to know if I did everything that I could so that their daddy and their mommy still love and follow Jesus so that it makes it exponentially easier for them to. Single guy or girl, does your legacy matter to you and, and what are you doing about it now? Young married couple, does your legacy matter to you and what are you doing to develop a kingdom family legacy? If you're married with children, what are you doing to develop a kingdom family legacy? Grandparent, what are you doing to help harbor, to help develop? Your job's not done once you have grandchildren. Will it be talks about Jesus while fishing or more about how you spoiled your grandkids? Will it be something about your house that they love or they remember? Will that be the legacy? Or that you built your family intent on serving the house of the Lord? Whether we want this responsibility or not, friends, we are creating a legacy. It is there. It's going to happen. You can not think about it. You can try to deny it. But it is there. So what do we do to build kingdom family legacies? Really quickly. Fear the Lord and obey Him. Fear the Lord and obey Him. Psalm 112. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Who greatly delights in His commandments. Listen to this. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Fear the Lord and obey Him. Honestly, 
I can't guarantee that every one of my children or every one of my grandchildren will come to Christ. But I live right now, and you've heard me say this before, I live right now with so much confidence. Because I know that if I fear the Lord, if I obey Him, and then I develop kingdom family around that, then my children will also. And God willing, my grandchildren will. And God willing, my great-grandchildren. Fear the Lord and obey Him. Know your identity and what you value and never compromise your character. One way to develop kingdom family is to know your identity and your value and never compromise your character. Friends, if you are in Christ, that is who you are. Jesus, God sees you as Christ. The world should see you as Christ. And you have infinite value. And because of that, you should never be tempted by someone else to compromise your character. A legacy that is one that's focused on Christ, is focused on kingdom family, fears the Lord and obeys Him. He, they know their identity and what their value is and they never compromise their character. Seek out the needs of those in your house and in the world and be a servant leader in those things. That's the third thing that I've come up with, well, that I've come up with through study and different things. These are not all original to me. Seek out the needs of those in your household and the world and be a servant leader in those things. Care for those who are close to you, starting with your wife, your husband, and your children, moving to your church, and then moving to your extended family, and then the world. And really, mostly it all ends up looking like you're doing it all at the same time. Care for those who are close to you. Help people, especially your spouse and your children, find and express their gifting. Friends, this was not original to me because I am not this person. I am a critical person. And here's what you need to know. Critical people never harbor gifts. They never bring out the best in people. Almost never. Critical people say they're trying to help people by critiquing, but most of the time they bring them down by telling people what they're not as opposed to helping people realize what they could be. Do you understand, what I, do you understand the difference? When I'm critical, I'm telling people what they're not as opposed to what they could be. Help people find their gifts. Help people find the way that God has gifted them, the way that God has... Um, just <laughs> shown them how they are a responsible and thriving part of the kingdom. Especially your children. And friends, developing a kingdom family starts and ends with prayer. Ask God to give you, your spouse, and your children purpose, direction, mission, and conviction to complete them all. Here's the deal. Here's the deal, friends. If you're struggling with your spouse, chances are you stopped praying for them and you started praying at them. Do you understand the difference? God changed that person. As opposed to praying for them in an unassuming sort of way. If you're struggling with your spouse, you probably stopped praying for them in general. If your children are struggling and you're not praying for them as the first thing you do and the last thing you do, you're missing the mark. 
We can spank. We can put in time out. We can send to therapy. We can do all the type of things that we want to do. But if we're not praying for our children as we lead them, we are holding up a gun to the devil without ammo. We're saying, watch out, Satan. Get away from my family. And there's no bullets in the gun. Ask God to give you, your spouse and your children, purpose, direction, mission, and the conviction to follow. Follow through. Friends, we are creating a legacy, whether we want the responsibility or not. That's right. We are creating a family, whether we want the responsibility or not. Are we creating a kingdom legacy in a kingdom family that God is going to be honored by? And that it is going to be a crown, in our, our jewel in our crown in eternity. Pray with me today. Lord, you are good. And we are so in awe of the fact that the best part of your goodness is this. You save us. You love us. You keep us. You equip us. And nothing, no weapon in this world formed against us shall prosper. No weapon in this world formed against us shall thrive. Lord, would you help us to be kingdom leaders in our family. To be husbands and wives who love each other, who honor each other, who support each other, who raise our children up to love you, to follow you, to live for you. Lord, I know often my life is not modeled by this, but God, I want my family. I want my family to be a Christian legacy. Lord, I want more than anything in my life for my children to know you. Lord, more than long life, more than success in business, more than a large church. On some level, God, I feel what Paul feels, where I would give him my own salvation. If I knew that my family legacy, Christian legacy, would live on. Lord, we are so focused. We are so focused on the world. And the things, the things that this world tells us we should be focused on and we should love and we should, we should honor and we should elevate. Would you help us to have a kingdom family focus? Would you draw us and bring us to repentance when we don't? Would you help us to have a calling and an understanding that we are living for much more? We are living for much more than the here and now. God, I pray that in 20 years, that I'm pastoring Christians in this church 
that are here because of the influence of their mom and dad. That are here because their parents started making decisions to follow you, to love you, to honor you before they were even born. Before they were even married. That our kingdom family would grow and increase to the glory of the Lord. God, we praise you and we love you. And we know that all of this is done through you and through your spirit. We don't have the power and the strength on our own. But if we are willing and obedient, you will do great and mighty things to us. We love you and we praise you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake.